Hi, I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Jenny. And this is Rookie Movie Reviews, where we're watching 100 IMDb top movies as chosen by fans. Today we watched Clockwork Orange, and Jenny, what do you think of it? Gotta say, this wouldn't actually make my top 100. Of all time? No. <laughs> yeah, no. So this is the final of six Kubrick movies. That on is on this list. This list, yes. And so, just as a real quick recap, it's The Shining, Paths of Glory, Full Metal Jacket, Clockwork Orange, 2001, A Space Odyssey, and... Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, this one is released in 72. Not the oldest, not the newest on the list. It's no. right there in the middle. Sure is. Well, wait a minute. Paths of Glory was 59? Yeah, Paths of Glory and Strange Love were both 58. 58. And then The Shining is 79. Shining is 80, I want to say. Is it really? I feel as though it is. I can look through my no, notes. No, it's okay. Quick. I hate the way the page sounds when we turn them. <laughs> what if I do it very... Very gently. Just tenderly. <laughs> Kiss those pages softly. Tuck them in. 80. 1980. Okay, so... 80 minus 58 is 12, so it would have had to be 74 for it to be in the middle. Two years off is not bad for <laughs> doing no math at all. Well, I just did all that math in my head. I'm pretty proud of myself about it. That was good. <laughs> that was I've been phenomenal. doing Luminosity lately. This episode is spot. No, it's not. Oh, Nobody really? pays us for anything. But you yeah, have been doing Luminosity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, an app where you right can... Right under my nose doing can... brain games. <laughs> <laughs> okay. just i well i forgot my purse in my car and i've been robbed twice so that's true yeah i need help well robbed you were robbed but it wasn't anything harrowing the car it was, was my sister's christmas present well, and I mean, then steve's christmas present what i'm saying is uh the car was unlocked and they opened the car in the night we weren't well, I didn't say up. it was broken. Oh, yeah. I get okay. We it was like burglarized. You were, you had shit stolen from you, My which sucks. Car was burgled. Bur- burgled. And not the fun hamburgled. <laughs> the real bad burgled. The burgle where they take all your pennies. Yeah, and your expensive gifts. And then they smoke in your car? Did they? It smelled like cigarettes. They probably were just smoke smelling. And tried to hotwire it. I remember that. Luckily, that's a funny story uh, because the uh-huh, car at the time. Funny. Well, <laughs> the car at the time had some shit going on with the wheel, so it sounded like metal on metal, horrific grinding. Yeah. And they tried to hotwire it and probably heard that noise, which ended up being a pretty minor fix. Um, and they the ditched, so thank God for that car repair need. Maybe, I don't know. Robert has that car now. He's dealing with it. It's leaking oil. Ugh. Anyway, what were we talking about? We're talking about Clockwork Orange. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's hash this thing out. So I'm gonna say a bunch of plot here at the beginning. Okay. And you might be like, "Whoa, damn, that's a lot of plot." <laughs> but we can backtrack if we anything. watched it for the plot. We watched it for the plot. The plot tits. is tits. There's a lot of tits. There's a lot there's of too many. It's so disgusting. Problematic. <laughs> tits. Like there's if there's a naked woman in a movie, cool. But there's a specific, not specific, there's multiple scenes in this movie where it's a horrible sexual assault. Oh, yeah, trigger warning. 
Oh, yes. So there are sexual assaults throughout this movie, and they always make sure... One of my biggest gripes with the movie, I guess, to jump to that point, is that the the sexual assaults are all done with male gaze, and it's just an excuse to get some boobs on the screen, and it's really gross. Yeah, Kubrick has a problem with that, with women, I feel. Mm-hmm. What, what other movies do you think of? Well, in The Shining, there's that bathtub naked woman, and in... Um... Dr. Strangelove, there's that girl in the bikini for no reason. Mm -hmm. And then women are mostly excluded from his other movies. So when the women show up, shit's not good. Yeah, no, it's not. That's fair. I'm excited to... When, like, sexualized women show up. Because the mom didn't really... uh, The mom in The Shining didn't get sexualized at all. She got very maternalized. Yeah. She was mom-zoned. The mom in this movie was... Yes. I would say she was not maternal or sexualized, so there's that at least. I felt that she was maternal because she was like, time for school, love. Yeah. I'll put your breakfast in the oven. I've got to go to the ticket station. I suppose the parents were both, like, because she was all guilt-ridden throughout the movie because her son Alex is a criminal monster. But the dad was too, so I guess... Like, the dad the dad had multiple conversations. Like, all of his lines were about how they failed him as parents and talking to the mom about their child. So they were both equally parentalized. I feel like my dad would... Well, no, that's not true. I was going to say, I feel like my dad would drag my ass out of bed if I was faking sick a week straight. But also, no, he wouldn't. He would definitely be like... Maybe you should go back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My mom, too. But, you know. I'm, I'm really excited to just give a little spoiler of some future content of this show. We're going to do a B-plot where we talk about these Kubrick movies, what we like and dislike, and basically kind of talk with one another about all six, right? Is yeah. That fair? And that'll be a B-plot. Hopefully releasing uh, in a couple days on Wednesday. Yeah. This will be going up on Sunday. B-plot on Wednesday. Ought to have a whole new episode of a full movie next Sunday. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're looking at Miyazaki, but, you know. Yeah. Tweet at us. (laughs) Yeah, tweet at at us. If if you pull up Top 100, you know, if you have anything you want to hear, be happy to field suggestions. John. Um, (laughs) So... Okay, the plot. Let, here's a ton of plot all at once. Okay. The movie opens, and the main character, Alex, is with his three droogs in the Karova Milk Bar. They go out on the town to commit crimes, which consist of beating up a homeless person. And then, after they beat up a homeless person, they go to a theater where a rival gang, Billy Boy and his droogs, are... Uh, committing sexual assault against an innocent woman and then they get in a fight and beat them up on a stage on a stage in an abandoned theater and then after this they steal a car and drive through the country and i kind of want to stop just before they arrive at this home in the country mm-hmm. so the opening of this movie we meet the droogs and alex and they are committing horrible crimes london or the uk wherever they are i think it's london is filthy 
and apocalyptic almost it seems and crime is horribly rampant yep yep um i think i uh, really want to call out how the old man talks about how it's not a world for old men anymore that uh felt like a point the movie was trying to make and Kubrick himself, I feel like, has a very dim view of the world, and you can see that a lot through his war movies. And then this fighting scene was just such gratuitous violence. It wasn't bloody or anything, but they were just... I mean, this whole movie is gratuitous violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. And I feel like the fact that the sexual assault's taking place on a stage, I feel like that comes up again later, stage... Yeah, that was a good call out, and That's, we'll yeah. definitely cover that because I thought what you had to say about it was insightful. Um, I mean, so I don't know the violence in the movie; it's ridiculous, over the top. It's very cruel. Everyone in this movie is hateful. Like even so, we see Alex and his droogs, and they're just excited for beating people up and committing crimes and it's kind of it's gross and then they find the victim in the old man and he's like fucking kill me anyway i hate this world i want to die this isn't a world for me anymore Uh, and he's hateful and he's a victim and it's just dark and they just beat him up and then they're running cars off the road like this movie maybe i just wasn't in the right mood last night but i don't think i'd ever be in the right mood for this i watched this for the first time Pre-teens, I think. I think I was 12. Okay. Because, I mean, my dad was... Well, maybe I was older than 12. I'm trying to think here. I think maybe 17, which is much different. I can't... I, it's all a blur. Yeah, I mean, it's the past. It's a long but, time. But um, my grandpa died, and we went through my dad's old room, and he he had a Clockwork Orange as a book, and he's like, oh, this is a great movie. And I don't think he has seen it since it's come out. Because he graduated in 75, so he would have been... Oh my god, that's so weird. He would have been younger than I was the first time he probably saw this movie. (laughs) But it's a real horror show. Yeah. And I'm not into that. I like scary movies. I don't think this movie... It's not trying to be scary, it's trying to be violent. And trying to be insightful, but the way it's violent and insightful is just too abrasive yeah that's it's so in your face it's like natural born killers um where it's natural born killers is just so bizarre and uncomfortable like it's stomach churning same with um i would view this in the same league as natural born killers and something like fear and loathing in las vegas so fear and loathing in las vegas isn't as hateful or anything like that but it's so immersed in its like filth and drugs and sweat of of Vegas, like it's disgusting to me to watch. It makes me uncomfortable to watch. And this movie is disgusting, I think. So yeah. yeah. And to your point about horror movies, it's like I enjoy watching The Conjuring. I don't enjoy watching Last House on the Left. You know. Yeah. Different experiences. The rape scene in that movie. Yeah. One is scary, one is disgusting. Yeah, I mean... 
I think it might be because American audiences get so exposed to violence that we can watch someone get their throat slit and it doesn't feel as stomach turning as when they're tearing off the clothes of this woman on the stage. Mm -hmm. um, maybe just because it was such an extended scene. Yeah. And the way that Alex was narrating it was that it was like for the old in out in out and they're gonna have a performance and it's just so casual yeah he views everything through this when they're playing the night at the grove milk bar he sounds so bored yeah and uh it just it's a given that they're gonna go beat people up and that they're gonna go commit these horrible assaults against women and all that like and, and that casual casuality is really upsetting too yeah. he would be a sociopath or a psychopath uh, you know, I don't know. I wanted, I, th I think it'd be fair to say either. Yeah. Just no emotions, um, no regret or remorse. I will say... Well, oh, it's what? not that he doesn't regret his actions, it's that he's actively seeking to commit them. Because he doesn't, because it's what gives him a thrill. Yeah. I don't know, he'd be a fucking serial killer. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I guess has he been giving him too much credit by saying he has no regret? He is a monster and he seeks these things out. He loves it. Yeah. Um, and he uses super elevated language. So this movie treats him like... And he listens to fucking Beethoven. So like, here's a man that's better than you. Also, he has a ton of money and a pet snake. I read that as... So I actually... I was going to say there's a few things that I really like about this movie that are established in this first part and run throughout. And that is going to be settings... The dialogue and uh, the music. So I thought that the settings, as with all Kubrick, are amazing. Oh yeah, the set design is amazing. Alex's apartment, there is so much so inferred with it. Yeah. Yeah, and the dialogue, like you say, it reminded me of The Lighthouse. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, it's, it's so elevated. They say thou and thine. But the way they... And they also have their own weird lingo. Yeah, like you know. vodka. I think it uses a little kiss of Russian. Yeah, and they say things are like horror show, and they're glazies yeah, yeah, fries, yeah. and vitty things, and also um, Tolchak to hit. So, it, like you said, it does sound Russian. And it's this weird street slang that's really bizarre and adds a lot of character to these people. Mm -hmm. But when they say thou and thine, my thought always was this guy probably read some Shakespeare and thinks in his head that that's the true, like, that's what makes people better than one another. Um, or he's like, if I spoke like that, those people were superior, I would be superior. Right. So I kind of viewed his way of talking as him having his head up his own ass and thinking okay. he's better rather yeah. than him actually being better, you know? That's a good point. I, um, man's insufferable. Yeah. Also, when you find out he's a schoolboy. Yeah, that was a neat little twist. Yeah. Um, I forget. Actually, I, I just recalled the sequence that I wanted to talk about his room. Mm -hmm. It comes after this countryside home sequence. Are we going to talk about it? Uh, yes, just because it's important for the end of the movie. Yeah. So, just to say real quick, it's the iconic scene or an infamous scene. Infamous, iconic, whatever. They break into a home at the end of the road where there's a writer and his wife. And we looked up some trivia. 
In the book, this writer is writing the manuscript of Clockwork Orange. You don't see the manuscript in the movie, mm. but yes. presumably. That's the title tie-in, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and they pretend to be hurt, and the wife lets them in. They immediately tie him up and commit sexual assault against this woman. Mm-hmm. And it's a very horrible scene, both because the act itself is horrible, it's uncomfortable to watch. Malcolm McDowell improved singing in the rain for this scene, yep. which is, I mean, it's effective in that it's very creepy and unsettling. Yes. And also it's a horrible scene because the committal of this, or committing, the way they commit this assault is filmed, commitment. the commitment of this assault is filmed from the chest up, so you can be sure to get a view of this woman's body. And I've said before, I think it's really hard to justify sexual assault in media, and we've talked about it on this podcast. And this, the way they do this is to show how bad the main guy is, to see the woman's body. Well, they fridge this woman. Yeah, they fridge the woman. Um, and... Like, I don't know if there is a way to properly execute a sexual assault on screen to, like, justify it for the story. Yeah, American History X does it right. And, well, no, American History X does it gratuitously. Shawshank Redemption, I feel, does it right. Mm -hmm. And uh, The Lives of Others does it right. Because it's just enough to get you disgusted. And then it, it tears you away to not, to not make the woman sexual. And you see the victim's perspective. Yes. And how the victim grows and reacts. But this movie is just like, I don't care about the victim. We want to see her boobs. We want to see how the husband reacts. Because there's... I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, yeah, no. But a lot of this uh, scene, as as much of this woman's breasts that you see... You see her husband looking on horrified. Mm-hmm. So it's really focusing on the husband's reaction. And Alex addresses the husband more than the wife. And, you know, oh. call me crazy. No. But I would argue that beating up a homeless man. Right. Running cars off the road. Mm-hmm. And then if they showed up to this house and just, like, beat them both. Stole their shit. Maybe even, like, killed one of them, even though that's important to set the stakes for later mm-hmm. that he hasn't killed anyone. But, I mean, there did not need... I knew he was a bad guy. Yeah. You know, we, everybody knows he's a bad guy. The first thing you see him do is beat up a defenseless homeless man. Uh, he's a bad dude. But, yeah, problematic scene. Um, iconic, but I just... It hasn't aged well. It's not justified. It's just... It's gross. Yeah. And... I don't know if it's controversial to say that this scene is a big negative of the movie because everyone's like, oh, singing in the rain, so terrifying, so dark. It's like, it's, yeah, but it's Like if bad. he was slowly cutting their flesh off, I would feel like it's a better Yeah, use. right, just something super great. Like if he was torturing them in some way just to get his kicks, that's like, okay, fine. I... It's it's a weird fine line, like you said earlier, with Americans and violence versus sexuality. Maybe it's different, but um, it I hated the scene. I actually wrote down, I hate every scene in this movie, with a smiley face next to it. <laughs> oh, because man. I'm a millennial, and that's how we deal with trauma. Um, so we already talked about the drawer of wallets, but okay. 
they're back to the milk bar because they need a nightcap. Yes. And there's a woman at the Karova milk bar. And Alex is watching her. And she breaks out in song. And it's really operatic and nice. And uh, Dim makes up. Oh, I can't do it with braces. This is hell. It blows a raspberry. I just, I just found this out. <laughs> no. It feels like you're doing a bit. You can't make a raspberry. <laughs> So Make upset. a fart noise with your mouth right now. Oh, no. <laughs> there, I had to use my arm. <laughs> Got the job done. That's heartbreaking. I'm sorry I, to say I that. can't whistle anymore. Can't, can't make raspberry. fart noises. I can get a bite out of a sandwich and there's not additional teeth marks. Hey, perfect. So, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So, at the bar, Dim blows a raspberry. Probably he could do it because he didn't have braces, but you know, maybe in a couple of weeks you'll have your whistle have to, and fart I'm gonna have to test back. out whistling. Gonna have to test out raspberries. Gonna have to test out. Um, you're phenomenal. Thanks. Okay, so <laughs> he makes this raspberry noise, and Alex gets upset, and he bonks him, and he says, "You, I, I don't remember exactly what he says, but it's essentially don't interrupt her." You're an idiot. Yeah, he's. it's really ironic or hypocritical or whatever the term would be because Tim is like, why'd you hit me? And he says, because you don't know how to comport yourself politely in public. And, you know, he's saying, you're rude after they just beat, stole, raped, horrible shit and are coming back for a nightcap. So, uh, really ridiculous. And then there's a little inkling of derision with dim he says i don't think you should do that anymore and alex is the leader so he says i think i should dim says okay I, let's go to bed yeah i'm just tired i didn't mean to back talk the, the fearless leader here yeah and this is when we see alex's room and his house and i thought his room design was really well done to show the kind of person he is he's got this giant lewd poster of a woman naked spreading her vagina and ass, like on her on his wall, and he has a snake and shit. This guy's got a fucking snake. He's deplorable. Um, he also drops a watch into a pile of watches, uh-huh. which implies this isn't his first fucking time. And it sets up again his love of Ludwig van Beethoven because oh, yeah. the woman in the bar was singing the ninth, the ninth, and uh, he goes home and listens to the ninth. The one shot that I thought was funny was um, he takes his snake out, puts it on his tree, Uh and then we see a shot of the snake extending towards the private regions of the woman in the poster. And it's just like this naked woman and then the snake is a dick, you know, and the Mm. whole movie is like, this is one of my big beefs with the movie. Um, Not this exact scene, but the concept of, like, I feel like all of Kubrick's movies are kind of saying, like, hey, you ever notice how... You ever notice? You ever... Did you ever notice? Did you ever see how uh, (laughs) the movies are all, like, have you noticed that... That's a big 10-4, bud. Did you ever notice how these... Okay, fucking A. I'm... (laughs) Getting my point out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we're gonna 
<laughs> we got any more letter getting references? I love what we should watch. a piece of shit. I feel like all of Kubrick's films that we've watched on this list are saying like, hey, there is a very deep-rooted connection between men, you know, not, not women. He doesn't really film about women. He doesn't care. No. But there's a deep-rooted connection between men, violence, and sex. And I feel like all of his movies are kind of like, look at that theme play out ranging from pretty subtly to not very subtle but well done in this movie. You know, like The Shining or uh, even Full Metal Jacket, I think you could make the argument pretty easily, what with all the prostitute scenes. Oh, yeah. And this movie is just violence, sex, (laughs) violence, sex again. And it's just so annoying to see all of these other movies that are like, "Mm, let's muse on this. And this one is just literally a bat beating you over the head with this intertextuality of these themes and it's like jesus like it's kind of annoying to end on this one almost because it feels like his least subtle i was putting it off to be honest yeah it's uh it's his least subtle approach to themes that he has covered much better in other movies i like this snake a a dick snake crawling up a (laughs) vagina like the poisonous dangerous weapon dick uh (laughs) being used for like not to mention that it's all, like, sexual assault and rape interspersed with beatings and violence. Like, it is not subtle. It does not have... No. It does not have no subtle art. ideas. Yeah, the art is in the set design and the dialogue, I think. Yeah. Everything else and is just... And the costume design. And the co- oh, yes. I love... The costume designs are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They're all wearing their uniforms. We haven't talked about this. The Drugs are wearing jock straps. Bowler cap, like everyone knows this outfit. Yeah. And it's uh, obscene. And, like weird blood on the overalls and like gouged out eye cufflinks. Yeah. It's certainly a costume. We see Alex take off his eye shit at the end of the night. So. Yeah. And I noticed later, like Georgie Boy has yellow eyeshadow on one eye and Dim wears lipstick and stuff. And they've all got these things uh, to be ostentatious. But. Yeah, very ostentatious. Okay, the porcelain Jesus scene during the ninth. I know it's supposed to mean something, but I have no fucking clue what. It's just these... <laughs> oh, no, I shouldn't laugh. It's supposed to be obviously from a crucifix. Mm-hmm. And he has um, been nailed to the cross. So he's got like his arms out and his legs are hanging in a certain way. And it, he's got four of these, and they look like can-can dancers. Mm. And it's just panning, you know, the crown of thorns on his face, his feet, his hands. And I don't, I don't know what it means, because I'm not a good Christian, and I didn't pay attention in Sunday school. I think it would be fair to say, since the rest of this movie is so blunt, I think the fact that he has these Jesus figures... And uh, seemingly either mocks or subscribes to some form of faith by having these figures in his room. It's either he's a little devil bastard, which comes up later mm-hmm. with the uh, officers. Um, and he's mocking religion or he claims to be of this religion and he's such a sadistic fuck that it's just a critique of hypocrites. And so I don't think it's I don't think you have to dig very deep. Uh, I think whatever 
meaning you come up with is going to be fair. I don't think you can. I don't think Kubrick is putting anything past us on this one. You know, oh, okay. it's <laughs> so when he's like, I don't know what it means. You know what it means. Okay, you know, yeah. he's he's not being. Slick. I'm also not familiar with the C of E. I guess I assume they worship Jesus. The oh the church are you referring to the Church of England last? Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not too familiar with it either. I think they're Catholic. No, I'm trying to think of the six lyrics. It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, Catherine. Um, Is it Beethoven's Sixth Symphony or Sixth? Sixth musical. Oh. So it's a, grew up in the French court. We oui, we oui, bonjour. Life was a chore, so we set sail. <laughs> Grew up in the French court. Um, West End cast of six, Don't Lose Your Head. That's an Anne Boleyn song. Yeah, but that's, Anne Boleyn's... that's the chorus. Grew up in the French court, we oui, oui, bonjour, life was a chore, so she set sail. 1522, came straight to the UK, all the British dudes lame. Epic fail, oh. <laughs> I want to dance and sing, politics, not my thing. And I met the king, and soon my daddy said, you should try and get ahead. You wanted me, obviously. Kept messaging me, like, every day. Couldn't be better than he sent me a letter. Who am I kidding? I was prêt à manger? Which I don't know what that means. <laughs> Do they talk about the church in this song? I thought so. I think it's literally just the C of E. <laughs> oh boy. You're gonna make me read this whole song. Dance and sing. Okay, here. Mate, what was I meant to do? Sorry, not sorry, not sorry about what I said. I'm just trying to have some fun. Don't worry, don't worry, don't lose your head. Didn't mean to hurt anyone. LOL, say oh well or go to hell. I'm sorry, not sorry about what I said. Don't lose your head. Tried to elope, but the Pope said nope. Our only hope was Henry. He got a promotion, caused a commotion, set in motion the sea of E. <laughs> There you go. I hate it how you said that. Because it's not into... It's not into... I, I mean, these are not advanced rhymes. Our <laughs> only hope was Henry. Okay. Got a promotion set in motion. No. Caused a commotion. C of E. There. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm was sorry. Was that worth it? No. <laughs> Okay, so they reference C of E in this musical. Anyway, yeah, go check out Six. I saw it on Broadway before mm, COVID. Fancy. Oh, it was all worth it. Okay. So That's not even where we're at, because we got to talk about his preparatory school principal. He's, he's like a truant officer or a probation officer or something like that. Okay. Because I got the vibe that, based on the conversation... Alex has been in some sort of juvenile system before, and now oh, he's yeah. on. Now he's like, "Be a good boy, or you're going back." So this truant officer shows up at Alex's house. Apparently, he ran into his mom, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he got a key. And he's waiting in his parents' bedroom, which seems very intimate. I would wait in the kitchen or the living room if you have one. Um, so this truant officer doesn't believe in boundaries and. Hey, maybe that's the truth, because Alex is walking around in his dang underwear, and he sits on the bed next to the truant officer who grabs him by the shoulder, and he talks to him about, I don't know, truancy. <laughs> and he gives him this long lecture, 
if if you had anything to pull from it that might be meaningful um i don't know how meaningful it is but i did think it was a pretty good scene for alex's character because i did kind of my feelings throughout the scene were that this guy's breaking boundaries by being in the parents bedroom alex is trying to maintain power by being in his underwear like you can see his dick through his underwear pretty much and it's it's very much an uncomfortable scene because Alex is trying to make this guy uncomfortable. And then in my view of it, the truant officer has Alex sit down next to him. He pulls him down to like be reclined on the bed. And then he ends his speech by hitting Alex in the privates and holding his hand there. So the whole scene feels like a really uncomfortable struggle for power between these two. And it feels like, to me, Alex kind of loses because he raised the stakes to being like, I'm going to be in my underwear. And then the truant officer raises the stakes to be like, I'm going to ignore your boundaries completely and just grab your dick. Uh, so it kind of feels like this moment meant to belittle Alex or like bring him down to... Because he's, he's under 18. They never say his age. Yeah. In the books, he's 14. No. Yeah. And um, that was one of the trivia points. Uh, in the book, he's a delinquent 14-year-old. But in the movies, he's an older-looking kid. He looks yeah. like an old teenager. Okay. But uh, it just felt like, again, leaning into this like sex in a way that's not explicitly tied to naked women. It's about... The control of Alex's body, you know, and and he loses that. I think so. I don't. I don't know what it does for the movie overall, but it does like seem to bring him to a like he loses here. He loses for sure. Um, so the power balance is felt by the audience, but then the one in power drinks teeth water. So I think you lose that respect for him immediately, and you're brought down to the same level. Yeah, he's obviously like maybe adult. not the same level, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Teeth water though. The first, uh, the first sip. It seemed like he meant. I just got up, so that ah uh, was me. Being old, audience members, I'm old. So you're saying about the teeth? Um, the first sip. Yeah, he. It seems like he doesn't notice. <laughs> you know, there's like. Not Alka-Seltzer. It should taste weird. Yeah, it doesn't taste like water. And he doesn't notice until the teeth hit his lips that it's not water. Also, why are you drinking nightstand water? Yeah, that could not be good. No matter, Even if it was a cup of water, it'd have someone's like mouth? soggy m- no. late night mouth lip mark. <laughs> Gross. You know when you have cotton mouth and your spit yeah. is... It's still spit, but it's tacky. It's like... <laughs> That's everyone who has a night glass. They have tacky cotton mouth. Okay. So we cut to Alex. This is... um I kind of forget. He leaves his apartment and all of his droogs are waiting for him. Yeah, it's in the evening time. And they're, they kind of surprise him at his apartment. He's like, well, 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 well. I... We both had points. You go first. No, I like I Welly 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 Well. Yes. I would say that. Welly 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 Well. I would say that as an easy reference to this movie to seem like a smart person. 
I would say that too. I might do that in the future. Um, what I was going to say is that talking about this now has made me realize I kind of like the parts of the movie that serve to knock Alex down a peg. Not because I want to see him get knocked down a peg, even though he deserves it because he's a literal monster. But he's not just some unbeatable, omnipotent, yeah, uh, horrific force. He he gets surprised by his friends. He gets dominated by his uh, parole officer. And later on, he loses even harder. Yeah. But, yeah, like, these early inklings of him being fallible are uh, good, I think. But in any case, they, his friends kind of surprise him with a bit of an inquisition and try to take control. Uh, and he, on the way to a bar, attacks them. And he slashes Dim's wrist, kicks his uh, friend into the river. And uh, the whole inquisition was because Georgie Boy had an idea for a robbery. And this robbery was to go to a crazy cat woman's house and get some real silver because they know offense. So they want to make big boy money. And they go through with this plan. And I know I kind of cut through another 20 or so minutes of this movie real quick, but is there anything you want to talk about during that little moment? Or should we just get into this robbery? No, I think the bill, b- 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 I think the big call out is the power dynamic stuff. Yeah, it's all just challenges. and Yeah. Uh, and he's very desperate to maintain his power. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and that's definitely defining factor of his character. Yep, he's all about being in control. Okay. So, we they get go... to the robbery. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was going no, to ask you. I, I was trying to I was trying to volley this tennis ball oh, to I you it. for the for the robbery. I have it. Thank you <laughs> for okay. catching it. So, they go to Yoga Cat Lady's house and this woman has as many cats as I want. And she has an equal amount of nude Sexual photos and paintings. That's how many I want, too. Yes. She's got at least 50 of each. And she's in... I don't know the position, because I'm not super into yoga. She's got her head against the floor and her ass... Like, she's lying on her back, and she lifted her legs up above her head. Which is hard to do. Yes. You need some ab work. And the the movie... This might just be male gaze and the male gaze of the movie catching me, but it's very much, like, focused on her pubic region. Like, she's spreading her legs. Yeah, there are so many different yoga poses to do to showcase that this is a yoga woman. This is and just, this is this one. This is her vagina to the camera mm-hmm. in, like, a child's pose with your back on the ground. Yeah. So, not to mention all the photos, like, calling yeah. attention to that specific aspect. Aspect. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So they try to pull the same move that they pulled back at the other house with the writer and his wife, and he does the same line, help, help, there's been a terrible accident. This lady stays sexy, doesn't get murdered, won't let them in, uh, suggests a public house down the way, and when they leave, she calls the cops. Smart lady. Smart lady. Unfortunately, Alex and his droogs are sneaking around the back, and Alex finds his way in, and a fight ensues, and, well, not, well, let me, they, they talk, and the woman's like, you better get out of here, the cops are coming, you're gonna be in big trouble. And they have this weird fight, I don't know, I don't remember what weapon she has, but she, she has, like a, bu- like a bust ahead. Mm. And he has this giant penis sculpture, so he's defending against this woman with his giant penis. And he's, ho- like, holding it in front of his penis, 
Like he's, so this is a metaphor, obviously. He's literally battling this woman with his dick. Uh, I will say... I don't know. You were in the middle of a summary. I have a question for you. No, after. give me the question. So, I feel like in all of his movies, Kubrick has one little thing that makes you think, is all of this sexist shit done like like he knows it's shitty and I don't think, think you can do it for six movies but here's the thing aware it's shitty so my I I will say right now my opinion is that it's more likely he got lucky with a couple scenes than he intentionally made a couple scenes where the woman was not uh, totally sexist like the subject of a sexist uh, view but look at Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. So we see the only women in that movie are prostitutes and they are just demeaned throughout the movie. And it's like, yeah, it's not really a movie about women, but none of Kubrick's movies are um, up until the end. And then you see a woman who humanizes all of Vietnam and contrasts the monstrosity of the main characters and really makes you question like what they're doing like everything else did. But... This is the one moment where, like, they killed a child. It's a woman. This woman is used to humanize Vietnam. And in this movie, we've got sexual assault, male gaze, like, gross shit, and women just being objects to uh, achieve for Alex. And then we've got yoga lady who knows her shit, stays on top of criminals, and then is ready to throw down and, like, set boundaries and fucking fight. But still gets sexualized and ends up dying. Okay, well, yeah, fair. So at least in The Clockwork Orange, he's a total failure. And then in some other movies, he gets lucky by choosing to cast a specific character as a female and, uh, like, makes a makes a good scene with a woman rather than um, making a bunch of shitty scenes <laughs> with women. Yeah. Your your uh, still gets sexualized and then dies kinda just put a pin right in the balloon and made me realize, well fair. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know. So what what do you think about this whole robbery sequence? Because as you say she dies, she gets beat to death with a penis. Yeah. Um <laughs> Just like the first woman. Because she had the terrible rape and she got... Yes. I shouldn't laugh. But that was a good it's call. It's not funny. Let me be clear. Yeah, no. It's it's, it's okay just, to make jokes about a fictional movie, but I I understand. She got beat you're... to death with a penis, I think is... Like, they both get beat to death with a penis, just like in different ways. Yeah, it's just a very subtle movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, man. Yeah. Trigger warning. Rape joke? Big question mark? No, it's it's a joke at the expense of Kubrick being a bit of a... Sexist uh, pig? A, I guess, Who yeah. uses rape as... Yeah, he uses rape for its power dynamic. And then when the power dynamic is established, he's like, Great, I've used this tissue. I can throw it away. Yes. I think Kubrick's a... We'll get into it. Sexist. Uh, yeah, on Wednesday. 
I'm gonna have thoughts. I'm gonna do research because I I fucking bet a, a better feminist than me has written an article. Um, You're a great feminist. Okay, so this woman, bless her heart, uh, calls the cops, and Alex tries to get the fuck out of there. Um, but his droogs are waiting, and they're seeking revenge. And Dim hits him across the face with a milk bottle, blinding him, and they all run away. And the cops show up while Alex is incapacitated, and they arrest him. Yay! Thank God. He gets processed, and he's in prison for a while. He's in there for two years. Um, the processing scene is pretty good. It's terse and uh, interesting to see. But, um... His whole, his whole thing with real authority is being respectful, but... I don't feel like that's true. Oh, it's it's shit. all a it's all a ploy. You he's know, manipulative. You he's know, he's manipulative. What we forgot about between the truancy officer and his friend showing up is that sex scene with the girls from the music shop. Oh yeah, well that sex scene, I he has consensual sex. Thank God, with two women he picks up at a music shop. This scene is just to show that he's very virile, I guess. <sighs> Like, he just has sex with both women multiple times, and they both get dressed multiple times, and he has more sex with them. Like, I think it's just to show that he's got, like, an unnatural libido or something. I don't so get if, the point. if sex is power, I think this is supposed to just be him having established power. Okay. That, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Also, call out in the books, these girls are ten. Yes, he... Like, uh, he drugs them and rapes them, and they're 10. And so he's a 14-year-old teenager. The book is uh, much darker, except for the ending. And we'll talk about that. But And the NAACP was like... Not the NAACP. Who uh, who rates movies? The MPA. MPA. Yes. <laughs> uh, the MPA... Uh, they're like, nah! It was probably <laughs> like, hey, can we not rape 10-year-olds? And Kubrick is like, fine, <coughs> Philistines. Ten-year-olds aren't even sexy. I don't want them on film. And they're women. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, guys, they're just ten-year-old girls. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> That's my Kubrick impression. Uh, okay, so the one thing I want to talk about in the, hospital, in the prison. Yeah. So he gets, he gets uh, processed. He's in prison. He's a good little altar boy. Uh, and he gets... Picked to be part of the Ludovico experiment. Mm -hmm. The one thing out of all of that that I thought was funny, kind of, was his reading of the Bible. I'd agree. Yeah. I'd agree. It's what got him through prison. The terribleness of the Bible. Which I feel like any atheist tugs his own horn over how much <laughs> the Bible is violent yeah. and sexist. And this... Uh, this movie is just, you know, one one big horn tug, I think. That's probably what the porcelain Jesus is meant. Yeah. The, just, the, the, it's such good characterization for as evil as a character is to envision himself as the Roman beating and crucifying Jesus <laughs> and just loving it. And he's like, the second half of the Bible with all the, Lessons, that's boring as shit. But the first half, where I can think about beating a man, is awesome. Like, yeah. I love it. <laughs> and 
it's funny because of his knowledge of the Bible, I guess this is just the point you were making again, but mm. he enjoys reading the Bible because it's violent and sexist, and he learns all the quotes, and the fact he learns all the quotes gets him in good with the pastor, mm-hmm. so he's... In the good standing of a pastor because he knows his Bible, but he knows the Bible because he loves violence and murder. You know, it's it's like a very much uh, like, hey, Bible, what the fuck, by, by Kubrick. You know? <laughs> He's like that atheist quoting Ezekiel with their emissions were like donkeys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, man, no one's ever done this before. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe in 72 they had it. <laughs> and in, in the filming of that scene... Kubrick was euphoric. (laughs) (laughs) He would wear a trilby if he was alive today. Holy shit, Kubrick's an incel. (laughs) He had three wives, I think. Save it. Save it for Wednesday. (laughs) Can't say save it for the podcast. That says the fucking podcast. (laughs) I have to turn on the light. It's getting dark. Yeah, it is pretty dim. Holy shit, that's a character from the movie. Damn. Oh my god. I think the fan will go on too. Okay. Yeah. Again, we're in a race against time because... Oh, that's the light. <laughs> we're in a race against time because we turned the AC off and the fan fucks with the audio. So we're, it's not that bad. It's fine. So do you want to talk about this Ludovico experiment, what it is and how yeah. it's administered? So, so the Ludovico treatment comes up next after he gets... Well, did you want to talk about the strip searching at all? No. Okay. Ludovico is him getting strapped to a chair and his arms are pulled back and his eyes are pulled up so that he can video videos. And <laughs> he's he's going to video films and he's getting healthy. And he gets these drops put into his eyes and he has to watch horrible scenes and he's getting these drugs in his eyes and Ode to Joy plays... And he's like, no, no, you can't do this. And they're like, sorry, we're gonna. So he gets his uh, conditioning, which I guess is probably the most important. All right, so Ode to Joy, it's Hitler, and his conditioning is finished. Mm-hmm. And he's back up on stage, on stage, much like the rape victim was. Yo, yes. his torture is entertainment for elders, yo. Mm-hmm. It's a good call. And when you pointed that out, I had totally forgotten it, but he's basically beat by this guy, and he has to like a shoe, and he gags whenever he thinks of sex or violence. Um, and this is just a... It's, it's all part of the newly elected prime ministers or secretary of the interior or someone. Some new government official is like, I got this idea to stop crime. Because this is a dystopian UK, crime is horribly rampant, and they want to make sure prisons are empty just for political prisoners. Because so, they're also fascists. Yeah, they're they're fascists, and they're the political figures are criminals themselves. Yeah, and you know it's again not a subtle point. You watch this movie, <laughs> and it's this movie is not subtle. No, it's literally Kubert just screaming that he hates politics. <laughs> And men and violence and sex are interlinked, and it's just uh, inescapable, and we're all horrible. But he he's conditioned, he is released, and what he's follows... He's been institutionalized. He's, I'm institutionalized. 
That's all right. Six. Six. That's better. That's above average. <laughs> so, this next sequence is another huge beef with the movie. He stumbles from critical player to critical player moments after being released. So, he's he's released. He gets disowned by his parents because they have some random guy. Joe. From, Joe. Who, who mocks him until he cries. And he leaves. <laughs> and when he leaves... He runs into the homeless man that he beat, and all of the homeless people of London beat him back. And he's saved by two policemen, who are his old droogs, who bring him out to the country and <laughs> fucking beat him. And then he stumbles through the woods, freshly beaten by the cops, onto the old homestead, where it is discovered, like, you know, some political intrigue. The writer is this anti-government guy. And then he realizes that Alex is singing Singing in the Rain. Um, yes. One thing I'd like to call out about the old man is that he's become a cripple. And yes. uh, this Clark Kent looking aide. <laughs> yes. That's, he looks like fucking Superman. He's jacked. He's got glasses. A coiffed hairdo. Yeah. <laughs> I read somewhere that him carrying down Alex from when Alex knocks on the house and he's like, I need help. I've been beaten by the police. Uh When he carries him down the steps, apparently that took 76 shots. Wow. Or something ridiculous. Kubrick is an asshole. Kubrick sucks. (laughs) There's one other earlier thing. So this is probably all over a bunch of IMDb trivia pages and shit like that. Yeah. But I noticed it myself. And I'm very pleased with myself. I'm pleased with you too. When he gets picked up by Dim and Georgie? I believe it's Georgie Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a different, uh, another difference between the novel. It was actually Billy Boy in the book from the earlier game. But in the movie, it's Dim and Georgie Boy. And they have badge numbers or something on their epaulets. What I was so pleased with myself for noticing is that Dim had uh, 665 and Georgie Boy had 667. And I thought, oh, one of these will be the devil. But they carry Alex into the woods to beat him mm-hmm. between the two of them. So, so he, he is 666. The devil's number. The devil's number. And I thought, oh, okay. Because I, I, I noticed when they picked him up, 665. Yeah. And as soon as I saw 665, I'm like, okay, they're going to do a devil thing. Yeah. But it was kind of clever the, the way they did it. And again, with all the Jesus shit and him being, he's a little devil child. A little antichrist. Yeah, so he gets little beat. Little Damien motherfucker. It's an incredibly convenient, what'd you say? Little Damien motherfucker. Damien he is. It's an incredibly convenient sequence where he meets all of his old victims. It's come up. Gets beat up. Yeah, it, it's a comeuppance of, I mean, this movie is two hours long and his comeuppance sequence is like, Five minutes. <laughs> Jesus. Well, Justice is swift. That's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. He gets the shit kick out of him a lot, which is good. So when he's at the rape house, he takes a bath. Yes. And he sings Singing in the Rain. Because he's a cocky motherfucker who likes power. Yeah, well, like, it must, I kind of chalked it up to, you know, when you your mind recalls certain things and you're just humming a tune. Must have been like, oh, back back of his mind. Oh, yeah, I've been here before. I sang that song. I'm going to sing it again. Um, I really liked when the author 
realize and it showed his like freak out. Yeah. That felt similar to, you know, a precursor to Danny Torrance or something. Who's Danny Torrance? What? Uh, Jack Torrance's son from The Shining. Oh, God. His, his psychic fit. And you watch him and he's picturing the blood coming down the halls. He's just holding his head screaming. But basically, uh, this writer wants to use Alex as a anti-government martyr uh, for being tortured by the government to be released from prison. It's all unjust. But then he realizes who he is, calls up his pals, and they decide to torture him. Yo! <laughs> they learn that he is averse to Beethoven's Ninth. Yep. And lock him in a room upstairs. With the ninth. And just blast it up there. And Hell we yeah. see... Just, uh, I really like the performance of after the writer learned who he was. And they were feeding him... How uh, angry he Yeah, he, he was just... He was frowning so hard <laughs> it was ridiculous. But... <laughs> I feel... Oh man, I feel targeted by your frown right now. Stop. Stop the frown. Um... Yeah, it's a it's a good scene, the dinner scene. Frowns so hard. Uh, Alex drinks some sleeping pill, whatever, and conks out. I frown at you. Frown at you. You can't frown as hard as I can frown. I can frown much harder. No, you can't. I have can't. a bigger mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it goes farther. I'm like the cinnamon monster. Oh shit! They are so sad. <gasps> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> There's a little Chowder reference. <laughs> Hopefully the cross-section between Kubrick fans and Chowder watchers is pretty immense. Much like our Twitter fans. All zero of them. Yeah. It's me and my alt account. Yeah. Those are our followers. Oh, I'll follow. Oh, you don't follow? No. <laughs> Alex is blasted with Beethoven's Ninth and he tries to commit suicide to escape it. And he jumps out the window. And he fails at suicide. He fails at suicide. He's, he's a dumbass bitch. He's a dumbass bitch. And now he's in the hospital. And just to... Do you mind if I wrap this thing up real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Um, the minister comes and apologizes. His minister parents, of uh, peace. Yeah, like the guy who proposed it's a, the Lido Vico. It's a pol- political bigwig, not just... A yeah. pastor or whatever. Yeah, it's like the one of the heads of uh, Britain. Um, so they everybody comes and apologizes. Yep. His parents come and apologize. The minister comes and apologizes. They set him up with a cushy job. And we learn that through his surgery, he's lost his med. And he envisions having sex and committing violence. And this, Jenny, is when those speech bubbles come up. Do you want to like mention those a bit more, like the ink blot test? I I can't remember the exact uh, language, but it's it's just like violent shit again. Yeah, and he's gleefully reciting his violent mood. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he's back, and the last line is, "Oh, I was cured, all right," because he's back to being a violent little bitch, and he's excited to be released into the world. He's got a great job. He's got his violent tendencies back. Yeah, everyone is apologetic to him, and the movie ends. Ta-da! Fuck. <laughs> Very it's, bleak. It's the most cynical, and I feel bad because, like, we watch this movie. He's horrible in the first half. Yeah. And then he gets his comeuppance, and part of me feels like the movie is trying to make you sympathize with him. Like, oh yeah, he's being beaten, tortured, and the whole time I'm like, fuck this dude. Like, this is a rapist 
murderer. Yeah. Like, this is a villain. And then at the end, so like... I think um, the big thing is the actor himself is charming. He's very charming. Malcolm McDowell really did it. Yeah. So I just, I'm just so pissed because... I'm so pissed. I'm so pissed. Hillary and Obama, they both smell like sulfur. You should look up the Alex Jones rant songified. It's a great piece of music and it's really funny. And that's what we mean. And that's what we uh, mean. Hillary and Obama probably smell like flowers. Yes. Um, but yeah, this movie pissed me off because we're, I hate Alex. And then the movie uh, makes me want to feel bad for Alex. Uh, and I don't feel bad uh, for Alex. <laughs> I don't feel bad for Alex because he's a villain. And then it feels like the end of the movie is like, ha, gotcha. You shouldn't have felt bad for Alex. He's actually a bad guy, and now his life is back where it was, and he's everything's bad. The world is bad. He's got a great job. Yeah, There's I no never justice. felt like he was reformed. Yeah, and it's just so frustrating. It's it's such a fucking slap in the face. It feels like Kubrick is really thinking, he's like, I did something here. It's like, no, you're just a cynical asshole in this one. The movie's too extreme, Yeah, and it's hard to stomach, and... We got your point in the first 20 minutes, and it was just two hours of it. Yeah. Anyway, likes and dislikes? Uh, I feel like we just went through an hour of likes and dislikes. That's fair. I don't have more points to make. Yeah, just, uh, do you want to offer a quick recap? Uh, Kubrick is sexist and violent. Yep, the the movie's misguided. I, the dialogue and the set design, and I guess the acting. And don't don't say we don't get it. It's you're not so highfalutin if you like this movie. Yeah. It's <laughs> if this is your favorite movie, you are a psychopath. Yes, <laughs> I'd agree. It's like, is it well shot? Yeah. yeah. And the set design is good. And the costume design is good. And the acting is good. And do I question the writing? No. I feel like in context of this terrible movie, everything makes sense. I don't feel like its message is wrong. Uh, I don't feel like its message is done correctly. Yeah. The the delivery of all of its concepts is so dated and gross. And, I mean, even as a dark, cynical watch... It's not enjoyable. No. Um, so if you want to rate it on three with me. Okay. One, two, three, Six. four. Oh. Five. Five. I, I say four because if five is the average and four is like, I didn't enjoy watching it. Six is something like I'd be okay with like, I'd say I liked it. And then I think seven and above is I'd be ready to watch this again. Yeah. But... This one I don't want to watch again. I... And it's just... it's I appreciate how well it's made. Yeah. All of my points for for it are in a favor of how well it is made. Like, there... Are, I wouldn't critique any shots except for that Jesus stuff. Uh-huh. And... The characterization is spot on. The reasons behind and how the characterization is made doesn't necessarily feel good. Mm-hmm. It's not a poorly made movie. It's just a poorly messaged movie. Yeah. And maybe it's because of the times it's made it. Maybe back then everyone's like, oh, that's really insightful. But now it's just like, shut up. Yeah. It's it's like uh, 
Chuck Palahniuk novels. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, when you're in middle school, they're super edgy and deep and the world doesn't get it. But now it's like, okay, there's a cum demon or something. Like, <laughs> I get it. It's oh, dark. the world got it. And the world understood it for what it was. And that's why it's not highly regarded. Yeah. Well, but this is highly regarded. <laughs> yeah, this, I mean, I haven't seen every Kubrick movie. I We've seen these six. These six. This is my least favorite of the six by a yeah, large margin. same. Well, this is a, our... So we're going with five. Yeah, first. Um, tweet five. at us at rmr underscore podcast if you disagree. Yeah, but you're wrong. Send us an email at review at gmail.com and visit our website at rookiemoviereviews.com. Be happy to hear from you and thanks for listening yeah. and hope it didn't ruffle any feathers. But Well, if it ruffled your feathers, tweet at us. Yeah, I just didn't care for it. Uh, five. Five. This is our lowest rated one yet. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.